Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. Joys of salvation. I've got the joy of the Lord, and it's my strength. It's my strength. It's my strength. Let's all stand together. It's time for the preaching of the word of the Lord. We love the God that Brother Stone King serves. We love what God does through him. And we thank the Lord for that message last night. I will never, ever again read that scripture the same way that I have in the past. She touched the hem of his garment. I want to have the tassels of the word of God, the love of the name, the commandments of God in my life. Because there's people that need to touch Jesus, and we are Jesus in the world. Amen? If you weren't here last night, you've got to get the tape. You've got to hear the truth. I've never heard anything like it. And what a tone it has set for the mantle conference. Now we know what the mantle is. Amen? Let's clap our hands to the Lord Jesus as Brother Stone King comes to preach the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, everyone. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this house. There are just two verses of scripture that I want to bring to your attention tonight. They are found in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, beginning at verse 2, here is a prophecy. The Bible says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. Everyone say burdensome stone. I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. I simply want to entitle this tonight, How Near Are We to the Coming of the Lord? How near are we to the coming of the Lord? Would you lift your hands, your voices and your hearts, and would you pray sincerely before you are seated tonight, Lord Jesus, tonight, I thank you for the tremendous group of people that are here tonight. I praise you for your wonder-working power that is in this house. I thank you for great expectancy that is here. I praise you tonight because you are God. Will you, O Lord, tonight anoint us both to hear and to speak? Will you, O Master of the universe, cause us to have a spirit of understanding and revelation that you will bind us together in one mind and one accord that you will allow us O god to somehow open our souls wide to what thus saith the lord and awaken us in this hour before it is everlastingly too late 
if I may ask, help us to become fanatical for you. Help us to become, O oh Lord, as it were, fanatics for the cause of Jesus in this hour. Take away all inhibitions. Help us, O oh God, tonight to become bold. Give us a holy boldness with wisdom. I ask you, Lord, tonight in the matchless name of Jesus, and anoint these lips of clay in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Would you clap your hands with all of your might for a moment, and would you lift your voice of praise to the Lord? <laughs> Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I wonder what would happen if every man, every woman, every boy, every girl became involved in clapping their hands tonight with all of their might and shouting unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Because there is triumph in this house and where Jesus is, anything is possible. Anything can happen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. How near are we really to the coming of the Lord? No one really knows. No one really knows when Jesus will come. The Bible says, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. No one really knows exactly when Jesus will come. But there are some prophecies in the Bible. There are some things. There are some happenings that help us to understand where we are in the prophetic timeline for the church in the world today. There are signs in the scriptures. There are signs that are foretold. The Bible talks about the latter rain and that the glory of the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. You must understand here tonight that the Bible is a very particular book written to a very particular people to a very particular geographical strategical location in the earth. The Bible was written to a people whom God called his own and there are things in the Bible that make no sense to us here in this particular culture. If you make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and view the land and watch the culture, there are things in the Bible that make a great deal more sense to you because there are things in the scriptures that pertain to that area of land and to that particular culture and to that people. For example, in the land of the Bible, which Israel is called, there is something there called the early rains and the latter rains. The early rains bring forth the fruition or the completion of the grain harvest. The latter rains come later. And the latter rains are seven times greater than the early rains. And the latter rains bring to fruition or to harvest the olives and the grapes, the oil and the wine. And the latter rain, the oil and the wine, is significant of the Spirit of God. 
the latter rains will be seven times greater than the former rains. The Bible promises in the last days that the latter rains will fall. Here is something significant. If 3,000 received the Holy Ghost in the early rain, then if the latter rain is seven times greater, we could expect 21,000 to receive the Holy Ghost rather than 3,000. Tap your hands again if you want that, if you really want that. Jesus, I praise you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The latter rains, this is some of the most interesting information as far as I'm concerned. In 70 AD, the fulfillment of the prophecy uttered by Jesus on the Mount of Olives, some 40 years prior to that, came to pass. Jesus had his disciples on the Mount of Olives one day overlooking the Temple Mount, and they were asking questions. Jesus was giving answers. He also was making prophetic utterances. One of the things he said was that there would not be one stone here left on top of another. As he looked at the temple, the disciples said, what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of these things coming to pass? It was a very powerful, destructive, prophetic utterance. Because the temple at the time of Jesus covered 37 acres. There were more building blocks in the temple at the time of Jesus that Herod the Great had completed and built upon from the days of Zerubbabel until there were more building product in it than all of the pyramids of Egypt put together. The temple that Jesus walked in and preached in should have been and would have been listed as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world except for the ever-present anti-Semiticism. There is no way to tell you how glorious it was. Jesus looked at it and said, there will not be one stone left here on top of another. And I could spend a lot of time on that. But some 40 years later in 70 AD, Titus came in with his hordes, his legions from Rome, because the Hebrew children, the Jews, were a stiff-necked people, and Rome could not control them. Because the Jews would not worship the Roman Caesar as God. They would not. And so, Rome ordered that they be totally destroyed and brought to naught. Titus came to accomplish that situation, that command. And he executed it. I can tell you, without a lot of graphic details, it was mass butchering in the city of Jerusalem. They slaughtered men, women, and children. They brought the walls down. They ransacked. They destroyed. They set on fire. One of the things that they did was they went to the Temple Mount. I am told from my guide and also from historians that it was not in the mind of Titus to destroy the temple. The main reason is because some of the wives married in among the Roman soldiers at the time and the captains came from the royal house, the Hasmonean house, which had Jewish blood in them. And some of these wives begged that they would not destroy the temple. 
And so they tell us that it was not in the mind of Titus. But when you get mass crowds together, out of control, there's no way to control them. And so the soldiers were in this frame of mind, this frenzy, this butchering, this murdering, this slaughter. And one of them shot a fire arrow through the door of the temple, and it lodged in the draperies and set fire to the temple. And the, the wood and the draperies and the appointments inside they burned with tremendous heat and what you may not know is that the temple was made out of limestone and if limestone becomes hot enough it will catch on fire and burn itself and the heat was so great that the limestone began to burn and the blocks they began to to explode with the heat and it sounded all over Jerusalem like bombs going off and the temple was in flame and there was a gold crown around the top of the temple solid gold and the heat was so great that the gold melted and ran down the sides of the temple and spread itself in pools on the temple paving and floor. And when the fire subsided, the soldiers came in with all instruments of iron and they chiseled away every speck of gold they could get. They tore the temple to pieces. They uncovered every stone. They turned every stone over. So literally in the end result, there was not one stone resting upon another. It came to pass exactly as Jesus had said. And they carried those Jews away in chains. They, what, the, those that lived through the slaughter, they carried them away in chains. And the Romans did what every army did before them and after them. They set on fire the forest as they left the country. They chopped the trees down. So when Titus left with his legions and the Jews that still survived in chains and led them away to the ships and spread them throughout the earth and began the great diaspora, there was nothing left behind but desolation. The forests were gone and the erosion set in. But there was another significant thing that happened. Once the Jews no longer had a people of their own and their total failure allowed them to pay taxes to a higher power and they were led away in captivity, the latter rains stopped falling. And with the stopping of the latter rains and the vegetation being destroyed and burned and the forest chopped down, the winds, erosion set in and the earth was blown away, and the land became a desolation, exactly as the prophets of old had warned and foretold, until jackals howled and scorpions crawled and Bedouins act out in existence. There was nothing left. The latter rains stopped falling. And for over 1,900 years, they did not fall just the early rains, not enough water, not enough rain to cause anything to grow or the desert to ever spring forth. But a phenomenal thing happened, began to happen in the late 1800s. Jews began to trickle back into the land. They came across the borders secretly and settled in malaria-infested swamps. And the Arabs called those Jews who settled there children of death because they lived in a malaria-infested area. But the Jews began to cultivate the land. And a phenomenal thing began to happen that the whole world basically missed. 
And that is that when the Jews began to trickle back into the land after 1,900 years, the latter rains began to trickle lightly. They began to fall lightly. And the more Jews that came, the more the rains began to fall. The latter rain intensified. It kept intensifying until in 1948, when Israel became a nation and declared their statehood, the latter rains returned in full. Lift your hands and lift your voice out. <clears throat> my guide, his name is Moshe Kafre. There are people here who know him who have accompanied me on my tours to Israel. His parents were Russian Jews. In the early 1900s, they, his parents, walked, walked from Russia over all that land area to get to the promised land and slipped across the borders and settled in malaria-infested swamps. And the rain began to fall until finally the latter rains are pouring again. But something else happened. As the Jews began to trickle back into the land, the ancient land of promise, and the latter rains began to lightly fall, at the turn of the century, this last century, something else happened. The, the rain in the natural began to fall, but on the other hand, the Holy Ghost began to fall. Topeka, Kansas, Azusa Street, and what's interesting, if you parallel it, the more the Jews came back to the land, the more the Holy Ghost fell over here. On one hand, you've got God building a natural kingdom. On the other hand, he's raising up a spiritual kingdom. And the more the natural rain came down, it looked like the more the Holy Ghost rain came down until the church began to shake everything. Israel began to shake the nations of the earth. Pentecost began to shake the denominationalism of the entire world. Nobody understood what was going on. But there's a God in heaven who is in control of all of this and his prophecies are yea and amen and he will have the last word not government not dictators not kings not queens but God himself because his word is true clap your hands again and shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph hallelujah hallelujah And the Jews to this day, the Jewish people are obsessed with the planting of trees. Because there is a scripture that says to them, a commandment plant all manner of trees. And so tree planting is a national obsession with the nation of Israel. And all tour groups that go there, they, we all plant trees at one time or another during the tour. A token of the return to be involved with the blessing of the restoration of the nation. I can take you to a place in Israel called the Scrolls of Fire. The Jews planted six million trees in honor of the six million who perished in the Holocaust. And today, that forest is 50 years old. And as far as the eye can see, it is just dense, lush, fabulous scenery and vegetation. And with the planting of trees and the raising of a forest, water vapor began to lift into the air. And as the water vapor went up, it formed clouds. And as they fled or flowed and floated over those mountains and valleys, the rain began to fall. In other words, 
If you want the rain to fall, you've got to send up some vapor. We ought to learn something from that. If you want God to move in this place, we ought to give a little vapor. You need to send up a little vapor. If you will send up a little vapor of worship, if you'll send up a little vapor of praise, the rain will begin to fall. The rain will begin to fall. And the rain will fall in proportion to your worship. You send up the vapor and the rain is coming. I can hear the sound of abundance of rain. I can hear the sound of abundance of rain. <laughs> Hallelujah. And we are alive in this hour to see the latter rains restored in full and the nation of Israel home. And the church is growing in the earth. The Bible also says that we're building be the building of a latter house. And the latter house will be greater than the former house. If you go to the rabbis of the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, they will tell you that the plans for the next temple are taken from the blueprint in the book of Ezekiel. And that the next temple, during the millennial reign, will cover one-third of the present city of Jerusalem and its towers will be seen from the Mediterranean Sea. The plans are laid out now for such a monumental structure. The Bible also says in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I received a report this summer that says every 18 seconds, say 18 seconds, say 18 seconds. Look at your neighbor, so that's not very long. Every 18 seconds, someone in the world is being baptized in Jesus' name and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Every 18 seconds, someone somewhere in the world is being baptized in Jesus' name and receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So while you live out or while we pray around and backslide, God is doing his thing in the earth. There is revival in the earth. Revival is not coming. Revival is here. Revival is not coming. Revival is here. Revival is in the earth. <clears throat> I feel like shouting, I feel like screaming, I feel like running, I feel like dancing, I feel like leaping for joy because I am alive at such a time. I am a beholder. Grab your neighbor by the hand and shake their hand and say, we are seeing it. We are seeing it. In our day, in my day, in your day, we're seeing this. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Is it any reason then that we shout? Is it any reason then that we dance? Is it any reason that we get excited? You may be seated. 
If you're here visiting tonight, we could not care less what you think. We couldn't care less. We've got it, and we know that we've got it. We were lost, and now we are found, and we're on our way to heaven. We couldn't care less what you think. We've come here to worship God. We've come here to raise up his name. We've come here to worship him because he is God. Hallelujah! Say, I've got it. Say, I've got what he's talking about. Hallelujah! You may be seated. The group, the group that has published this information is against Oneness Pentecostals. And their complaint is that we are growing too quickly. Because in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. They can fight you and they can fight me, but they cannot fight God. There is no way to fight him. You're not going to fight him and you're not going to fight his word. You're not going to fight his will. like what I feel in this house tonight. <clears throat> the Bible says, the Bible says that Jerusalem will become a burdensome stone for all people. It may be of interest for you to note tonight that the United Nations has passed more resolutions concerning Jerusalem than any other subject in its history. If the United Nations in New York City does indeed represent the nations of the whole earth, then Jerusalem has become a burdensome stone in my day for all people. We have heard a lot about the peace process. Most recently, the Camp David peace process. We all know it has collapsed. Everything went along relatively smoothly until they got to the subject of Jerusalem and it fell apart. They could not reach an agreement over a city set on a hill where God established his name and his feet. They cannot come to any agreement over this city. The battle for Jerusalem has begun and it will never end until he comes in the clouds of glory and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. It will go back and forth continuously until they see him in the clouds of glory with ten thousands of his saints and thousands and thousands riding upon white horses behind him. How the peace process was going on Arafat was on the phone continually. He is all the time with Syria, Jordan, Egypt, and of all places, the Vatican in Rome, Italy. Why? Arafat was saying exactly what all those Arab leaders were telling him to say. The Vatican in Rome encouraged Arafat not to make concessions to Israel over Jerusalem. 
because they do not want the control of the 54 religious and so-called Christian sites in old Jerusalem to fall into the hands of the Jews. The Vatican would rather have those sites in the hands of the Arabs, the Palestinians, than to have them in the hands of the Jews. I can tell you because I've been to Israel 19 times and I've been to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There are all different groups, Christian groups, Greek Orthodox, Armenian, Roman Catholic, they're all in there with their shrines and whatever and their claims to that little piece of land. But when the door every morning is open to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, who do you think has the key to the gate to the door? None of the Christians, because they fight so much among themselves, no one trusts each other. They give the key into the hands of an Arab. It's an Arab that opens the Christian holy sites. Not a Christian because they can't trust each other. All they do is fight and mistrust each other. Mm. Catholic prejudice against Jews or anti-Semiticism. Catholic anti-Semiticism during the Spanish Inquisition and medieval history murdered 60 million Jews. Hitler murdered 6 million. The Roman Catholic Church during the Spanish Inquisition and medieval history murdered 60 million Jews. Catholic Rome killed more Jews than pagan Rome. And they admit this in their own writings. While the peace process was going on, Russia's leader and China's leader, just in the last couple of months, were voicing their opinions against America and Israel. Both the leader of Russia and China's leader say that Israel should go in and give everything back that once was controlled by the Arabs. Does anybody remember that Israel won the war? Does anybody remember that? The Palestinians are a conquered people. They need to get in or get out. I can tell you the Arabs in Israel have the highest standard of living of any Arab, any place in the entire Middle East. They have the best fruit, vegetables, doctors, dentists, schools, medicine. They have members in the Knesset and they can vote. That is not true any place else in the Middle East. What is so pathetic is that in Israel, Arab children can play safely anywhere in the streets, but no Jewish child is safe without a guard or someone carrying a gun because the Arabs kidnapped the children and tortured them to death. I could tell you heinous acts of violence against the Jews, but our news does not report it. I have access to it through Jewish and international sources. No nation in history that ever won or conquered land areas through military conquest. No nation in history has ever been asked to return the land 
friends to the country or the people that they conquered when the war was over. Nowhere in history. We didn't give it back to the American Indians. And the Texans didn't give it back to Mexico either. But the whole world expects Israel to give it back. Why? Because of one verse of scripture, which is the highest moral code in the entire earth, known in the intellect and the cognizance of intellect in the course of human history. Shema, Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Ehad, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you clap your hands again? Would you lift your voice of praise to the Lord? I'm here tonight to tell you there are not two gods, there are not three gods, there's not a half a dozen gods, there's only one God, and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. It is the greatest revelation, it is the greatest revelation ever given to man. It's the greatest revelation ever given to man. There's only one God, there is only one God, there is only one God, there is only one God, and his name, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. What is his name? Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. One more time. Jesus. Can you feel the air tremble with the mention of his name? Can you feel the power? The whole world, the whole world is in becoming involved with the city set on a hill whose name is Jerusalem. Ironically means a city of peace. Russia and China have aligned themselves now against Israel. That's very biblically prophetic. China's 200 million man standing army is in place. The characters are on stage for the last curtain raising. It's the last scene in God's grand finale. The stage is being set. Friend, listen to me. There is enough in the news media. It ought to cause you to come through those doors, leaping for joy, shouting every time you come to the house of God. You ought to be on your feet. You ought to be singing whether you feel like it or not. You ought to be dancing. You ought to be shouting. You ought to be worshiping God. You ought to be into it like you've never been into it. You may be seated. And sometimes I think, we come to church and we say all these miserable praise the Lord's and hardly know what we're saying. We're just matter of rote. What we ought to be doing is grabbing each other's hand and say, Have you read the news today? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He is coming. He's about to come. It'll put a fire in your soul. It'll put a dance in your feet. It'll give you a reason to live. It'll cause you to worship. It'll cause you to lose your lethargicness. It will cause you to lose your complacency. 
I feel a great witness of the Spirit in this house tonight. I feel a great witness of the Spirit in this house tonight. And because Jesus is here, anything can happen. Anything can happen in this place. Clap your hands again, all ye people, and shout with your voice of triumph to the Lord. Arafat is determined. Arafat is determined to declare a Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital. And he has made the comment, anyone that does not agree with it can drink water in the Sea of Gaza. Coming through the airport here on CNN News, I listen to Arafat curse America and Israel and send us with curse words to wherever. A Jewish rabbi in Jerusalem has just written and said, Arafat has more innocent blood of Jewish women and children on his hands than any other man in history since Adolf Hitler. What our press did not, did not publish here in this country is a few years ago, Arafat crossed the border up near the Lebanese border and came in with his henchmen and his terrorists and in cold blood, they murdered an entire Jewish school of children. Israel says if Arafat declares a Palestinian state, all goals and agreements in the peace process will be null and void. It's over. Ariel Sharon, former defense minister of Israel, just led in the last two months the largest anti-peace process demonstration in Israel's history with over 150,000 demonstrators and said this can only end in war. Don't you see people? Don't you understand? A new kingdom is struggling to be born, to break forth, ruled by the Messiah. A new kingdom is struggling to break forth, to be ruled by the Holy One of Israel, whose name is Jesus. Psalm 102, 16 says, When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. This building up has been going on since 1948. It began there. God has begun to build up Zion. We have watched it. I have watched it. You have watched it. The Jews. If you look in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, listen to this. Way back in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, it says, The scepter power, authority. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. If the Jews had been looking, they would have known that Jesus was the Messiah. Because in their prophecies it was written that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. In the very first book of the Torah, it was prophesied, Israel never paid taxes to a foreign power until the birth of Jesus Christ. It was at that time they were forced to pay taxes to a higher power. That's why Mary and Joseph were coming to Bethlehem to pay taxes. 
when they first paid taxes to a higher power, a foreign power, the scepter departed, and the prophecy said that that scepter would not depart until Shiloh come. And the moment they paid their taxes in a small, small village in the hillside country of a Roman province called Judea, suddenly, in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time came, omnipotence and deity fused itself with human frailty, and God himself became a man, and he walked into this world, Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. Angels sang at his birth. Wise men came to worship, still coming to worship. The Jews missed it. Their own prophecies foretold that he would be born of a virgin. And he was. The whole country knew about it. From Elizabeth to Mary to Joseph, they knew about this strange phenomenal happening. But they missed it. The prophecies had said that when the Messiah came, he would come out of Bethlehem. Bethlehem in the Hebrew language is pronounced Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Jesus in his earthly ministry said, I am the bread of life. And they never made the connection. They never made the connection. He said, I was born in the house of bread. I am the bread of life. And they missed it. They missed it. He was to be called the Nazarene. And he was. But they missed it. He was to come from the house of David. Out of the household of Jesse. And he did. It was in the genealogy. And they missed it. Isaiah had prophesied and said, when the Messiah comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, and the lame man shall leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing, for in the wilderness water shall break forth, and springs in the desert. And they missed it. He cleansed their lepers and sent them to the priest cleansed. He opened the eyes of the blind. He caused deaf ears to hear. He turned a funeral procession into a praise service. He caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He raised his best friend from the dead. Lazarus died, and they sent word. Jesus tarried. He didn't come right away. Why? He always has a reason. He did not come immediately. He waited three whole days and came on the fourth day. Because the Jewish tradition said that it was impossible to raise the dead after the third day because decay had set in. So Jesus purposely waited until the fourth day. He blew their traditions to pieces. And he came to the tomb of Lazarus and he said, Roll the stone away! And they said, But Lord, his body stinketh. He said, But roll the stone away! And they rolled the stone away. And Jesus looked into that gaping hole of death. And he cried, Lazarus! It's a good thing he named him. 
Because if he'd have just said come forth, the whole resurrection would have come streaming out of there. Because he was the resurrection and the life. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came walking out of that tomb, victorious over death. And Jesus said, loose him. In other words, unwrap the grave clothes that are wrapped around him. Loose him and let him go. That same cry is in this place tonight. Some of you have wrapped yourself up with grave clothes. The clothes of death, the clothes of wilderness. There's a call in the spirit that says, loose them. Loose my daughter. Loose my son. Loose them and let them go. There is deliverance in this house. There is deliverance in this house. You may be seated. In fact, Jesus' ministry was so powerful. They even mused among themselves. They said in their private conversations, the priests in the temple, the people, Will when the Messiah cometh, will he do more miracles than this Jesus? Who is this? Never man spake as this man. Who is this Jesus that the sea obeys him? The wind obeys him. Devils come screaming out. Who is this man called Jesus that causes the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and the dead are raised to life again? Who is this Jesus? We've never heard it on this wise before. Who is he? From whence did he get this power? Who is he? We've never seen it on this rise before. But they missed it. The Jews missed it. They were so busy fighting the Romans. They missed the greatest single event in their entire Jewish history. Because the coming of the Messiah is paramount in their faith. The thing they looked for, longed for, prophesied about, ached for, reached for, when it came, they missed it. But if after those Jews had been out in the countryside during the day and they had listened to him preach and saw the miracles, if they had done what they should have done, they would have come home at night and they would have got out the sacred scrolls by the firelight and they would have enrolled them and they would have said look here it's written here it's written here he did this today we saw him do this it's got to be the messiah look over here look over here look at this look at this this is exactly what they said the prophet said he, he would raise the dead we saw this today this has got to be the messiah but they were not looking they missed it but we are doing exactly the same thing exactly says and nobody knows exactly when he's coming but the Bible says in the last days multitudes will be rushing to and fro I sit in the major airports of the world San Francisco Los Angeles New York City London England Tokyo Hong Kong Singapore 
Sydney, Australia, Auckland, New Zealand, and all the rest of them. I watch millions of people shifting. The populace of the world is continuously shifting. The whole world is in movement, multitudes rushing to and fro. That came to pass in my lifetime. That was impossible when that prophet said that. It was an impossibility. Impossible. But it doesn't move us. It doesn't move us. We're too busy with worldliness. We're too busy with our flesh. We're too busy with the lust of the flesh. To pull out the holy writ. And look and compare. And we're missing it. The Bible says in the last days. Knowledge shall be increased. I read one source that says 90% of the great men of renown who have ever lived are alive today in this world. In the last hundred years, we have come from the horse and buggy to the automobile, the plane, spacecraft, space travel, walking on the moon, computerization, no one is safe. There's no privacy left. They've got your number. They know who you are and where you are. It's all happened in the last 100 years. But it doesn't move us. We come to church and sit and demand some new thing. If we don't like the choir, we don't worship. We walk into church and we pa pa pass somebody in the hall or in the foyer, they don't speak to us. We're messed up for the whole service. Brain is just spinning. They don't love me. It's exactly what I thought. They don't like me. They're speaking against me. You don't hear the singing. You don't hear the music. You don't hear anything because you're all messed up in your brain because somebody didn't speak to you. What you don't know is they probably had a stomach ache and was trying to get outside to some fresh air. Didn't have time to speak to you. That's how it really is. Let me tell you something, folks. I don't care if you speak to me or not. I didn't come to see you anyhow. I came to see Jesus. I came to see Jesus. And I'm going to see him for myself. And I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to praise him. And I'm going to sing. But I want to tell you something. If we all see Jesus at the end of the service, we'll all speak. Yeah. Look at your neighbors. I didn't come to see you anyway. And I didn't. I came to see him because he is the best thing that's ever happened to me. There's no one like him. There never has been. There never will be again. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Somebody get me to Jesus. But 
We are missing it. We are missing it. The Bible says in the last days, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking. The whole world is alive 24 hours a day, eating, 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 eating. We like it. But the, <laughs> the whole world is involved around trying to drink away their troubles, eat away their troubles. I think it, what is it? One in four marriages now fail in divorce. The whole world is in this. The Bible says there would come a day like this, but it doesn't move us. We are missing it. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. If someone had told me 15 or 20 years ago, it would be like it is right now, I would not have been able to believe it. People are doing things that the animals of the field do not do. Humanity has sunk to the very squalor and the dregs of society. When I was in high school, I ran in track. The worst guys in the locker room, the most vile guys in the locker room, never even mentioned the things you can read about freely now in Time and Life and Men's Health magazines. The rot and the filth that is available is unbelievable. As it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. But it does not move us. We are missing it. In Luke chapter 21, the Bible talks about the fig tree, which is a symbol of Israel. It says when the fig tree and all the trees, when the nation of Israel, when all the nations shoot forth their branches, see and know of your own selves that summer draweth nigh. This generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. We are the generation alive that has lived to see the nation of Israel restored the fig tree, shoot forth her branches, become a powerful military force in the world. She is the greatest exporter of roses. All the roses in Europe on the streets are imported from, from Israel. And the Bible says that Israel would blossom as a rose. We are the generation that is alive to see the nation of Israel restored as a nation and become a major power in the world. And the whole world is building against her. That generation, Jesus said, shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. The Bible says you are promised three score and ten years. That's seventy years. A generation basically is seventy years. We are now... 52 years into this generation since Israel. Jesus said, that generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. But it doesn't move us. I'm telling you folks, wherever you go to church, no matter if your preacher preaches a bummer or what, you've got enough going on in your heart and mind, you ought to come and dance in the aisles and shout and run and pray and worship God. 
You ought to get a hold of each other and minister to each other. If you don't like the choir, then do your own thing. You may be seated. So you're tired. Fine. We're all tired. We were born tired. When you come to church, if you don't have the strength to lift up your arms, put them on the back of the pew, but get your hand in the air. Don't just sit there like a frog caught in a snowstorm in February. Do something when you come to the house of God. Don't just sit there and look at me. And if you don't have pews, if you don't have pews, then go to a brother or sister, whichever is acceptable and proper, and say, look, man, I've had it today. I'm out of it. But I want to worship and I'm exhausted. May I bow your shoulder and get your hand in the air and do something for God. And if you can manage to shake it just a little bit, if you can manage to shake it just a little bit, something, something, something is about to happen. Say, I'm excited. Say, I'm excited. Look at your neighbor. So, what's wrong with you? seated I close with this we're missing it people we're missing it I have an article at home that says there's a little Jewish rabbi in the Middle East who gets up every morning and puts on a white robe and takes his walking stick and goes out into the streets at dawn looking for the Messiah he believes that the Messiah is coming in his day, and he goes out to look for him. Rabbis in New York City and rabbis in Jerusalem are all having dreams that Messiah is about to come. My God, people, if Jewish rabbis are having dreams, what should we be doing in the church of the living God with what we know? I just looked at these photographs again before I came to this meeting. I have an article, a Jewish rabbi, he's in his 40s, he's a Hasidic. He is preaching in the streets of Jerusalem. He's been doing it for two or three years. He preaches in the streets of Tel Aviv. He preaches to the teenagers in the streets that have left Judaism. He preaches the Torah. He's only got five books. We've got 66. Plus the Messiah, plus the name of Jesus, plus the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, the revelation of oneness of God. He's preaching, preaching with Gleason in the streets. And Jewish teenagers are so moved with what they can feel coming from him. They come and kneel on the cement in the sidewalk, the streets, and the shopping plazas. 
and repent and reach up and take gold rings out of their ears and break the chains around their neck and throw them down and they come with scissors and cut their ponytails off because those Jewish teenagers know when they return to the holy things of God they must leave off the things of the world but the Jews knew that what should we be doing with what we have and with what we understand and what God has given to us? You young people that are here tonight, don't you let anybody talk you out of this. Don't you let anybody talk you out of this. Don't you let anybody talk you out of this holiness, this modesty. Don't you let anybody talk you out of baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the oneness of God. You don't let anybody talk you out of this. You may be seated. You've got friends in the church, young friends, and they come and try to get you to go to some house of ill repute or smoke some reefer or take a shot of this or a shot of that or drink of this or drink of that. This is what you do. This is the best advice I'll ever give you. Double up your fist as hard as you can and punch them right square in the mouth, just like that. Get down real quick and ask God to forgive you. Get down real quick and repent. Repent real quick. Then get up and get a hold of them and drag them to the altar and pound them full of the Holy Ghost. They don't need a reefer. They need the Holy Ghost. They don't need a shot of whiskey. They need the Holy Ghost. They don't need some house of ill repute. They need the Holy Ghost. Yes! Shall believe it! Clap your hands again. I took a group of my people, a small group who were musicians, to a place in Jerusalem called the House of Harari. There is a place in Jerusalem off Ben Yehuda Mall called the House of Harari, where a young Jewish couple in their early 40s, late 30s, have rebuilt the harps to be used in the third temple for worship. They're magnificent, magnificent. They're about this tall. I took a group of my people who are musicians. It's a small shop, so I couldn't take the whole group. I took the musicians interested in music. I said, I want to take you to some place. We went. We walked up there. We walked. I knocked on the door. We walked in. Sharona, the young Jewish artist, the wife of this artist, met us. And I said to her, Sharona, I'm Reverend Stonking from America. I'm an ambassador at large for Israel. I bring tours to Israel. It's my way of helping you. I have a group of musicians with me. We know about the building of the harps and the remaking of the harps, and I want them to hear you sing and play. Would you? She smiled. She said, we'd be very happy to. She invited us in. We sit down on the floor, little shelves and places we could find. And she reached up and took one of those harps, and she began to play, and she began to sing. I could feel the Holy Ghost. Tears began to run down the face of some of my people. They could feel something in that place. They're building the harps, getting ready to worship in the third temple. They're going to build thousands and thousands of those harps. It's unbelievable. And as we were there, she passed the harp around. We all strummed it. It was something. It was something. Something. And then she said, but we have something else here. We have a ten-stringed harp. And we looked up on the top shelf, and here was a, a ten-stringed harp. It looked like an upside-down horseshoe, like a lyre, I think they call it, with a bar across and ten strings. She said, this is what David used on the field among the sheep. And she, she strummed it. You could hear it in the air. But then she said, now take it and lay it against your, your, your neck, your head, and strum it again. And when you do, 
your head, your whole head fills with music. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. She said, but we have not known what the ten-stringed stringed harp looked like. We haven't known in thousands of years. It was lost from us. She said, but in the diggings, archaeological diggings at Megiddo, they found the piece of stone with the ten-stringed harp etched, carved in that stone. She said, then we knew for the first time after thousands of years what the ten-stringed harp looked like. She said, we got that carving, and out of rosewood we remade this ten-stringed harp. She said, so we announced it to the nation. It was on the six o'clock television news. The whole nation knew. The artists were there. They played and sang over the television. And so the whole state of Israel knew about the ten-stringed harp. She said, a couple of weeks later, she said, one morning at dawn, someone was knocking on the door of our little shop. My husband and I got up. They live upstairs. She said, we had no idea who, who would be knocking at this time of morning. She said, we got up. We went downstairs in our robes, looked out through that little curtain, and here stood an old rabbi, all bent over, an aged little man, outside our door at dawn. She said, we looked at each other, we unlocked the door, opened it, and we said, may we help you? He said, yes. He said, I understand, I understand that you have recreated the ten-stringed harp. They said, yes, we have. He said, may I see it? They said, yes, so they invited him in. This little rabbi came in. They closed the door behind him. And Sharona told us, she said, I reached for the ten-stringed harp and put it in my hand. And she said, I brought it through the air. And as I brought it through the air toward the rabbi, his hand came through the air from the other direction. And when he touched the ten-stringed harp, he began to shout and sob and dance. And she said, my husband and I watched him dance and shout for 15 minutes on the floor of our shop, sobbing, shaking, trembling. And we kept looking at each other, wondering, why is he so excited over a harp that we have built? She said, finally, when he settled down, we said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, why are you so excited? He said, oh, because it is written in the writings of our sages and our seers that when the ten-stringed harp appears once again among our people, the Messiah will appear. If they're dancing and shouting over a ten-stringed harp, if they're dancing and shouting and having visions and dreams about the Messiah coming, if rabbis are dressing in white robes going out into the streets to meet the Messiah, what should you and I be doing here tonight? I feel like we ought to shout at the top of our voices. I feel like we ought to clap and say, Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Can you feel something? Can you feel something in the air? Can you feel something? People, if the Bible is true, if the Bible is true, Jesus surely will come in the very near future. Surely he will come in our day. Oh. <laughs> It. Let your voice out. Let your voice out. I will lift my voice to the heavens. I will cry to him. I will seek him where he may be found. Because I cannot miss. I cannot go to sleep. I cannot miss. I cannot miss.
Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details. Thank you.